Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact, you can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. Hi, I'm Jane Garvey and I'm Fee Glover. Off Air with Jane and Fee is going live. We are taking to the stage at the amazing Crucible Theatre in Sheffield on Friday, the 31st of May. It'll be a night full of surprises. We'll have a special guest, we'll involve you in the audience, and we'll embarrass ourselves. You really won't want to miss it. Well, the surprises, we don't yet know what's in it, so it genuinely is a night of surprises. Well, you've surprised me already. Uh, it's not just us. Our live show is part of an exciting new podcast festival called Cross wires which is taking place in some really amazing venues across sheffield from the 31st of may to the 2nd of june so other podcasters that you'll be able to see include katie price Catherine ryan romash ranganathan and the original adam buxton but there's also a whole host of free fringe events family shows surprise acts and after parties that jane and i haven't yet been invited to i'm sure it's only a matter of time head to crosswires.live for tickets and more information Welcome to The Times. To find out more, head to thetimes.co.uk. Every goal, every game, everywhere. The Times and the Sunday Times. Now with goals. Hello and welcome to The Game Podcast. I'm Gabriel Marcotti and I'm especially excited this week. And it's not because Rory K. Smith is back physically in the studio. It's because we have a full house. I have three excellent guests here in the studio. One of them, of course, is Rory K. Smith, looking like an extra from Reservoir Dogs. Uh, but you're dressed up because you were nominated for an award? I've been nominated for an award, yes, and I have yeah. to go to a date. Wow. We have Matt Hughes, uh, who's wearing a fetching V-neck top. I'm giving you some descriptions so you can, uh, uh, you can help visualize. And we have the excellent Alison Rudd, who's uh, wearing a, a sparkly bracelet. Coming up, we'll be talking about the cherries topping a Chelsea bun. Wow, I just, for the record, I didn't write that. I could I could never <laughs> write something like this. Credit for this goes to our producer, David Wire. This is a soft porn podcast. <laughs> <laughs> we, we are heading in that direction where we might need um, a rating here. Gary Neville, uh, you may have heard by now. He's been appointed as Valencia manager for the next six months, uh, as well as the rest of the weekend's action. But first... Let's concentrate on that place that Lionel Messi could never do well at, the Britannia Stadium. Shakiri, what a turn that was by Shakiri, And here's Anatovic, and it's two. Stoker in dreamland. Stoke beat Manchester City 2-0. It seems as if Stoke beat Manchester City regularly, or at least don't lose to them. You don't strike me as somebody who believes in sort of voodoo patterns, Husey, do you? No, no, no. Jinx teams. <laughs> Cute. What a bizarre question. <laughs> <laughs> no, but like, you know, your, your uncle's revenge against his former employer? No, I don't think it's to do with that. I think it's to do with the fact that Man City, despite having the best squad in the Premier League, are very, very flaky. And um, when Funston Company and Aguero and to a lesser extent Torre aren't playing, they look very vulnerable. And Stoke under Mark Hughes are turning into a very good football team. Scored two excellent goals and thought they deserved to win. 
I used to love Chiki Brigidistein as a player, and I hope he doesn't take this the wrong way. But I was wondering about that because obviously company Aguero and, uh, and Yaya, or good Yaya, are essential. But I think I'm right in saying that all of them came in the Mancini era, didn't they? And obviously Chiki's been there now, this is what, his third season? It's kind of weird that they spent all this money, and yet those three dudes, or co- well, company obviously predates everybody, predates even Mansoor. When you think they would have brought in other guys by this stage who could be just as essential? And I know De Bruyne or Sterling might reach that level, but I don't know, do you see a sense of maybe wasted opportunity here, Roy? All, all, all teams miss their best players, and there are always players, it seems, that other players look at and are reassured when they're, when they're on the pitch. But it is unforgivable. It's unfor- that's maybe too strong, but it's bizarre that that City are still so reliant on three players. And it's, it's not just that they're reliant on them, it's that the, the contrast when they're not there... And we can throw David Silva into the mix there, of course, Rory. You yeah, mentioned of course. him, but he's... Uh, and he did play. And he did play, but you, so you've got those four. And yeah, all, all teams miss their best players when they're not present. Obviously, there's always reference points for, for, for the, the other players who kind of give the side more confidence. But I think the thing with City is the contrast between how well they can play when they're at full strength and how poor they can be when they're not. And that's strange. And it's something that, to be honest, money should probably alleviate. Does they have the ability to buy players of such high quality that they shouldn't, they shouldn't be that discrepancy? Do we expect De Bruyne and Sterling to become quickly as important for City as those other guys? Should they already be as important for City? I think they are pretty important already. I think they're different characters to those, those three. They're sort of less expressive, less obvious leaders, but they've started well at City. I think it would be harsh to um, tie them with the brush of City's big money flops, but look at the rest of the squad. I've got a list here. Wilfred Boney, 28 million. Fernandino, 30 million. Otamendi, 32 million. That's nearly 100 million pounds. Yeah, and just because someone's got that price tag doesn't mean they are that good. I mean, I can't find anyone to have a good word to say about Otamendi. I'd also, I'd, to be fair, I'd say that describing Fernandinho as a flop is unfair. Fernando maybe, but Fernandinho has been certainly excellent this season. He wasn't excellent on Saturday. Was no, he? but he for has both, generally for been both excellent. goals. Shakiri kind of goes to past him. Mm. No, no, no well, but he has generally been excellent this season. I want to talk a little bit of Stoke because I've noticed that the front three that looked so good, and you know maybe Arnautovic should have had a hat trick, uh, hit the post. Um, they're all people who flopped, not just in Serie A, but in my city of Milan, Bojan Arnautovic and Shakiri. They come here and they're difference makers. I mean, the, I think the broader point is these are three guys you wouldn't doubt their talent. They've all had issues in the past. Can we talk a little bit about Mark Hughes's approach and saying, or, or Stokes' approach, and, and going for people like this? I think it's fair to say neither Bojan nor Shakiri would be at Stoke if the previous manager was still around. So how do you go and you find guys who are obviously gifted but haven't produced for whatever reason and, and recycle them and give them another shot? They identify these players and they go to the players and they say, look, we know you don't want to be here forever, but you can come here, we will play in a style that gets the best out of you. And in one, two, maybe three years, your value will have increased, you will get to go and play for a top six club, Stoke will have been able to progress with you in the side. I think Stoke are probably the best team in the Premier League at advertising themselves as a stepping stone. I think if you looked at teams like Everton, say, there is a belief at Everton, rightly or wrongly, that they are a destination club. 
and that can hold them back in the transfer market. I think Stoke are quite clever in saying we're not a destination club, we are part of your We're journey. happy to sell you on yeah. after you have a great season and we can make money. Yeah, on. and there's other clubs that do that, don't they? Swansea have done that quite successfully mm. last two, three years. Southampton as well, to yeah. a slightly lesser extent, because they tend to focus but on younger players. It's, it's, yeah, a, good, it's, it's a good model. Cause they're sort of, but those know. are younger players, though. I mean, you, you, you just mentioned that. I mean, maybe Swansea, maybe, well, no, maybe Shelby. Wilfred Boney got a move. He's not young, is he? No, I know, but these are guys who hadn't failed at the highest level. Certainly Bojan, Shakiri, and Arnautovic were all seen as people who had flopped at big clubs, rightly or wrongly. And I, I, I love this idea of like the club that looks at them and says, all right, there's 101 reason why things didn't work out for you. We're going to give you another shot. And I, it just strikes me very clever. But is it still Kia running the transfer market effectively? It's no, I don't think so. I think it's to do with, I don't know, I don't know whether Kia's involved, but I think the... the Having spoken to people at Stoke at the start of the season about that policy, it's basically that Stoke have a very they they have two scouts, they have two senior scouts, and they have Hughes and they have the technical director whose name I've forgotten. Mark Cartwright. They be, they can move very very fast, and I think they are taking players who they would accept of what what I don't know estate agents might call as refer to as doer uppers, that need kind of a home somewhere that they can thrive and feel important, and they they then allow them to do that, and then they say, right, you, you can come, and two years later we will sell you on. So as much as I'm not saying I want it to happen, I wouldn't be surprised to see Bojan move this summer. The players he's attracted, knowing that Mark Hughes will use them correctly, and he's mm. built a sort of family of flair there now, which came to its sort of peak um, against City, because he was leaving on the bench... You know Charlie Adam, John Walters, and he was saying, "All right, that is a we're lot there of now." A lot of flair on no, the no, 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 no. What I mean is, he left out the stalwarts yeah. and brought in a sort of a team of flair, as if to say, "Right, I now believe we've, we've, we we will have clicked. Go and prove it." And they did. It was a bit fairy tale in that sense because the lineup did before kickoff look a little bit adventurous. But it's very modern as well the way they're playing. Stoke. It's, Hughes has always been a able to set outside that are well organised, well disciplined, they fight, he's got all that all those traditional British virtues. But he'd watched the way Liverpool beat Man City and he sent his team out basically to do exactly the same thing, to, to press them high. He'd noticed that, especially without company, they don't like being pressed. That defence cannot cope with being pressed. But you, you, you made that point about the high press and as I saw it, it didn't look to me like they were pressing the life out of them. But also... You maybe don't it, need to. It, it's, not, it's not obvious that you would go press with those three guys. No, that's true. But he did, and it worked. He pressed them enough. When people ask me who's going to win the title this year, I still can't look past City, and it still occurs to me that logically, rationally, as long as Arsenal's players keep breaking like sharp little shards of glass then or, or Christmas ornaments. We had several Christmas ornaments break in my home over the weekend. That implies you should Yeah. Why? I'm sorry. Is is there an accepted uh, a rule in this country yeah, for when you should? Yeah, no, classy, classy people before. leave it to the week before. Yeah, it's not a rule. It's it's a guideline. I am interested in this because in this trees. idea, no, about when when it's appropriate or traditional in in, in your country to go and put up. Right. And on that note, <laughs> back to Stoke Man City. It's been on. <laughs> leave All it right. in, Madrid. Leave it in. With <laughs> some with some sleigh bells going. <laughs> People ask me, like, ooh, who's, so who's going to win the title? I'm trying to figure it out, and I, I still can't look past um, City, though, because logic suggests that this is the best team, and they've won it before, and Arsenal keep breaking. Is it still City? City should win the league. They've got the best squad. They've got the biggest squad. If they don't win it, then they will have clearly underachieved. But they've underachieved regularly, I think, since Sheikh Mansour bought the club. Two titles... An FA Cup, a League Cup, 
it's not great given what they've spent and the players they've got. I just wonder if the, well, the, uh, the they did have some some competition. Well, it's not as much as was the case ten years ago when you had really top Chelsea, Liverpool, United. I think the Premier League has declined over the last five six years, and City should have taken advantage of that more often, as results in Europe um, suggest. I just wonder if the um, if the Guardiola shadow is affecting Pellegrini more than we um, more than we realise. Rory, since you're heading up north, you can tell us when people because Ollie K tweeted that United briefed Guardiola's. That they're not really interested in. in Didn't in want to do out with her anyway. What? <laughs> Didn't want to do out with her anyway. Can you just explain to our listeners what, the, what, what when we say that like a club briefs? Can we say? What, can we just explain what this means? Well, it, I don't know exactly who at United is, is doing the briefing. I'm assuming it's Ed Woodward on the phone. But generally, right. what it means is that someone in a position of authority at a club, whether that's an executive or a manager or someone connect, well well enough connected to be taken seriously lets something be known. So it, whether that's in the form of an answer to a question or in the form of a sort of cryptic statement. Right. But they do this anonymously. They do it anonymously and off the record because that's the way the British media loves to work. And it means that they can get messages out without running the risk of it being attributable should they be wrong or change their minds, which football clubs do all the time. I don't buy it with United and Guardiola. I trust Oli implicitly and would like him to be the godfather to one of my children, but I don't buy it with United and Guardiola. I think they would be... I don't think Oli buys it either. Beyond of his tweet. stupid to be thinking that if Pep is either leaving Bayern this summer or next summer, which I think is more likely, that they wouldn't go for him. I think Guardiola wants United more than any other club in, in England. Why would he want to do that? I think he, I think the history of the club appeals to him. I think the international reputation of the club appeals to him, and I think the circumstance of the club suddenly would appeal to him, where he has a lot of money, and he can finally prove that he can take a team that's not winning and turn it into one that's winning. And in a strange way, there'd actually be slightly less pressure at United than City because obviously City won yeah. the title a couple of years ago. They should win it this year. If you pitch up at City, it's like pitching up at Bayern Munich almost. You kind of have to win. United had this sort of fallow period, so if, yeah. if, as Rory says, he can restore former glories, then it will be seen as more of an achievement. And also, he'll, I think there'll be more patience there. And his long, you've got to think about his long-term game as well, which I suspect is to take a senior position at Barcelona, away from football. One second, though, going back to Pellegrini and Begiristein and the whole gang, if City don't win the title and they don't get Pep, do you start asking questions of the director of football? Yes. And maybe even... I mean, I know Ferran Serrano doesn't just get judged on whether... You know, but it just seems that I, I I can't what I can't wrap my head around is this this idea that oh because they're his mates he'll definitely join him, which has been peddled by the media for so long and which I never fully bought. But now I I wonder about that because they must have some kind of succession plan, right? It's amazing how we've reached this situation where there's only one manager in the world that can actually, come like, into like, a job I, at a big English club. It's extraordinary. I, really. quite, I obviously love Guardiola, as all right-thinking people do, but it's a bit like self-indulgent, isn't it? This whole kind of, oh, I'm not going to sign a contract. I, I just think the guy is just incredibly honest with himself. He says he's not in a position where he has to decide. And it's, and it's, kind it's of an absurd. extraordinary way for such a huge business to operate. No other company would sort of allow the CEO to wait until April to yeah. just carry on the next year. It's, it's, it's amazing. Why? What was because I'm, I'm sorry, these what, companies they, and football clubs, as we're talking about football, they, they have to plan, plan for the future, and it's really difficult to do that if you don't know where you're managing to be, particularly if there's a chance that he could go and work for a direct rival, which is yeah. what he's going to do. I mean, it's ex- extraordinary. In our, in our industry, you get put on gardening leave rather than if you're going to jump ship. I take your point, Deb. I think you're right. I think there is, a, there is an element with Pep that he is obviously very indecisive. He is weirdly kind of 
not neurotic, but like self-doubting. There is an element of that. But I, I do, you, you do think, and I, I agree with Hughes, that at some point there, there is an element of Pep mu- must like the fact that everyone's sitting around going, oh, I really want Pep. He must like that. But he has We'd a brand. Like he has a brand to protect, which makes him more like a company analogy. If he makes even the slightest wrong move, his brand you know, plummets. Between the lack of holiday spirit and the, the rampant cynicism in his room, <laughs> I think it's best to move on to somebody who is not cynical at all. So let's go to Stamford Bridge. <laughs> And Bournemouth now have a corner, taken by Stanislas. Courtois doesn't deal with it. Cook with a touch. Murray! And Bournemouth have done it! Glenn Murray, two minutes after coming on, has scored one of the biggest goals of his life. This is not funny anymore, assuming it ever was. Uh, oh, come on. No, it's like, it's like he was toying <laughs> with us. And now they've lost. It's their eighth game of the season. This is, the, 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 this is just an absurdity now. I, I read in the paper. He's got one game. He's got two games. And I'm like, that's deja vu. That's what they were saying. Like, remember, like a month ago, like he's got one game. He's got two games. And then they go and they lose again. And and he's still there. They just knocked us on the head first. You cover Chelsea among other clubs. You you know these individuals. Are they are they really? Are they, does the club really go and give an ultimatum? Say, oh, lose this game and you're gone. It's not so much that they've said that, but that's kind of the mood music. Um, but it's really, it's actually if you get knocked out of the Champions yeah. League, then we got an issue. Yeah, uh, I made lots of phone calls yesterday. Striking that no one at Chelsea, around Chelsea, was willing to say he's definitely staying. Whatever. If if they go out of the Champions League on Wednesday night, it's. It's not definitely he's going to go, but it's a serious, serious possibility because um, Abramovich is unwilling to write off a season, and they would be effectively be out of both the only two competitions he cares about. He he doesn't own Chelsea to win the FA Cup or the Europa League. He's not interested in that. But if he wins um, the Europa League, they get in the Champions League next year. That's that is true, but that's not um, in itself. I don't think that's enough to. Salvage a season. My and also, theory, the, the other thing is, is Mourinho has dismissed the Europa League. He's yes, exactly what I was going to say. He has to resign if they're in the Europa League. The things you said about the Europa League are really quite revolting. So if, he, he's, if he's in it, he has to go. Mourinho has to resign if he says something revolting and dismissing? I mean, about the Europa League? No, he can't function in the Europa League. He would have to leave. Yeah, it's baffling, isn't it? The whole thing is just, it's just amazing. It's an amazing, kind of unthinkable... And I think because it's become quite normal. Some, I was away for a month, and I expected... But when I, when I came back... I expected Chelsea to be kind of doing that Chelsea thing like winning 2-0 against everybody and not, not being that impressive but being quite kind of awesome in a, in a literal sense. It looks to me like he doesn't really know what the solution is. Uh, and it's a strikerless I, system with Hazard I, up there. I love the fact that, they've, that they, keep, they do keep shifting the boundaries and saying, oh, well, you know, it's like, it's like I'll, I'll just have one more chocolate principle, <laughs> isn't it? It's like, all right, if we can beat Porto, you can stay. It's, yeah, I don't know. It's, they, 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 they've got a really difficult decision coming up because he, they haven't got enough credit, Chelsea, for keeping him this long, to be fair. No, yeah. They deserve credit for keeping him this long. Abramovich five years ago would have sacked him. A lot of other clubs would have sacked him. He's generally been proven right when he's sacked. Man, he has, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, right, I have often this conversation and it's, it's difficult to make that call, I think, because the managers that have come in have improved things but you never know what would have happened if Carlo had stayed okay, well, I, or I, I, Carlo's the obvious one but if you go back for all the sticky gets right I mean, Carlo I, I, and Jose I mean alright well you, sacking Claudio for who he inherited for, for Jose yeah. was, we would all agree was probably the correct decision right mm. yeah sacking Scolari was the correct decision right the guy was was yeah. lost sacking AVB was a correct decision because he was going insane yeah. right sacking Carlo probably not Sacking Robbie G, much as I love him, 
it worked out okay for them and you would probably say it was the right decision because it's an offer right because they so, won the Europa League and they won the Europa League I mean they've generally done better after they've changed managers yeah right? I agree but I also do think that if they'd had more stability they probably would have won even more the, um, thank you Richard Bevan the, the crucial thing about <laughs> Chelsea Chelsea need the Champions League more than any other club the Champions League is, is, is central to Chelsea's identity if you're Man United you can take a year out of the Champions League because you're Man United. If, same for Real Madrid and Bayern Munich and Barcelona. You don't need to be in the Champions League. If Chelsea aren't in the Champions League, they can still attract players. But that's a real blo- they are the kind of they are the Champions League era club. Chelsea. Yeah, they're a new club who've done very well right. out of being in the. That's know, how they've built that whole kind of appeal. Years, yeah, 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 is that they are the. And if you talk to players across Europe, it is kind of Real Madrid, Barca, Bayern, Chelsea. And Man United sort of level pegging. They think of Chelsea. Does Chelsea guarantee a place? It's also because Chelsea are in London, and yeah, rightly or wrongly, like unless you're Scandinavian, you generally don't want to live in in the north. Yeah, no, that's, that's right. absolutely true. That, that yeah. being in London is a huge advantage. But Chelsea, um, and I was, I was always going to say, was if they do end up in the Europa League, and I don't think they will. I think they'll beat Porto. They, should, they, they be, really need to try and win it. What if they beat Porto and then he loses to of all people, Claudio Ranieri? Oh, narrative. Well, Look whatever. Hey, we, can, we can keep we can keep giggling and like last year and you know, I'm sure they'll fall away. But the point is that they're still top of the table, right? Is that just a purely metaphorical thing, and we're all past that? Mm. I think the, the question that, that Chelsea have to ask, so what, you know, whether they go through in the Champions League or not, whatever, whether they beat Leicester or not, is can they find a manager mm. who will definitely turn it round and long long term or short term be better than Mourinho? For all that it's been terrible, and I don't think Mourinho knows how to solve it. Because I don't think he's ever faced anything like this before in his career. Who? I mean, does Carlo? He's the one, the one person you should get. Or some imagination. If they, if they get, I mean, if they can't have imagination because you're Chelsea, even Liverpool. They showed. Sorry, I would point out that they showed imagination with AVB. Not really. Them. They went back to what they knew. Roman always goes back to people he knows. He went. He went for. He appointed Carlo. Sorry, when, having, when AVB failed was... to get him twelve months earlier. He appointed Hiddink because he knew him from Holland. He appointed AVB because he knew him from Chelsea. Di Matteo is a Chelsea legend. He's gone back to Mourinho. He appointed Rafa at the second opportunity. He, he very rarely plucks a sort of left-field candidate out of the Bundesliga and says, right, come on, manager for my football club. Well, forget the Bundesliga. I think that's kind of well, jumped the shark who's anyway. Your, oh, well, who's even the Premier League. I mean, who, who's, your, who's your left-field choice for Chelsea? Say Mourinho does go, who's your left-field choice? Who they could realistically get, who they realistically would consider? Well, we're, we're trying to guess what Roman Abramovich would realistically do. And, and what, what, what I think makes it very difficult is that, well, I'm sure we've all met Roman Abramovich at some point. I was around his house the other day, actually. Yeah. Exactly. He doesn't really say much to anybody. So I think we're kind of guessing what he thinks through the filter of other people who are guessing of Marina <laughs> Michael well yeah all these people in the constellation around him I, I would imagine that most intelligent people sit down and say well let me try this this way what if I try something different as Hughesy said about City we're in a situation where if Man City the richest club and the current sort of dominant force in English football change their manager there is literally one guy who they want and that's Guardiola Chelsea are not going. They're not in a position where they can say, right, he's done. Maurizio Sarri's done well with Napoli. Alan Pardew's done well with Crystal Palace. Let's take a chance on them. That's the danger, is that they can't say, we'll get rid of Mourinho, this proven quantity having a difficult time, and replace him with an unknown quantity having a great time. So that limits your, that limits your candidates. Well, well, and they tried but, that with AVB and it failed. And it failed that, yeah. was, that, that was the sort of most right. left field so, disappointment because of his youth. Mm. And he was a very hot property at the moment, but right. also he had links with, so, with Chelsea. But and he's doing very well, AVB, uh, in the Champions League, so maybe go and get AVB back to Chelsea. Anybody would do at the moment, because Mourinho's become sort of so narrow-minded it's laughable they need someone just to come in who has got the power i.e. because he's called the manager to say right you you, right. Cesc Fabregas you're knackered you're out the team for 
three months. And sort of clinging, clinging to the old guard and thinking th- it'll come good next week. No, it'll I, come good next week. I think what they need rather than any manager is about eight new players. That's, that's the problem. Whoever comes in with that squad. Three words for you. Frank Lampard Jr. As manager. Why is that so absurd? It's not, not absurd. absurd. Exactly. Right, let's talk about another young manager who's obviously would never manage Chelsea because well, for all red. the reasons people said, told us. Anyhow, I, I go back to this. I look at this, I look at, you know, the starting lineup comes out and... I thought like, you were going to say, Eddie, how? <laughs> exactly. You hear these people going on, well, you need Premier League experience and, and all this stuff. And then you got this freaking Simon Francis who... I don't know where the hell they found him. He comes, he goes, steps in the Premier League, and he does fine. He does very well. He's, in fact, he's a lot better than all these guys who make a lot more money than he does. I look at all these... At the start of the season, because I don't follow the championship, I looked and said, like, hmm, what players do I know? The only reason I knew Tyrell Mings is because Scowcroft told me about him, and then the guy gets hurt, doesn't play a minute. I know who Max Grudel is, but, hey, he gets injured right away. The, the, the striker who was good, Callum Wilson, he gets hurt. These other people, I, I know I know Andrew Sherman is like a bad guy on a bad team like four or five years ago who came and went without leaving a trace. I know, obviously, I know Boric, but who else is there that, I, that, that a normal fan who doesn't follow the championship would have ever heard of with these, with, with these people? That's a weird, well, defi- a weird definition of a normal fan. Okay, somebody who doesn't follow the championship. Not saying that you have... But you know what I mean. Like a casual fan who follows the Premier League doesn't follow the lower league. Oh, I know Josh King because he was because because I've seen him come on as a sub and just kick people for Norway. And 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 so you're uh, looking for a normal fan just, who no, doesn't but what follow the championship is, but does no. know Valerenda players. I, <laughs> what, what I'm driving at here is they have some very very good players there. They did win the championship by miles last season. Yeah, I know, but that's but is, that, is, is the proof? But, 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 no, but, but, but no, but my point is, how often do we talk to managers? Or, 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 or recruitment people and saying like you need proven Premier League quality yes, you, need, you need Premier League experience doesn't matter the English reform Premier League experience Premier League experience and then you have Howe this year and I know I'm getting repetitive but you, you have your, your pal Sean Deitch last year and they come up and they don't get mullered and they actually play really well Bournemouth play really really well and not just against Chelsea and they have no fear at nil nil the logical thing to do the, the rational thing to do is alright Chelsea are having a bad day hey great we got a point this is going to help us stay up. And instead, they keep going because they can tell. They're mature enough that they can tell, like, you know what? We can take all three here. That's remarkable. I think Eddie Howe needs to be commended for that. So what that, what that teaches you is not that they have bad players. It's that, A, maybe people should pay more attention to the lower leads. But, B, that, this, that, that it is a myth, this idea that you need Premier League experience. It's a complete myth. It's nonsense. Too often, it's more so with managers, actually, than players. It's an excuse for the kind of repetition of mediocrity. So why on earth would you go and spend five million quid on someone who got relegated with Norwich two years ago when you could play someone who's just who's got the, mo- the momentum and the confidence of having come up? It's, not, it's nonsense. It is nonsense. And yet they did spend five million on Glenn Murray, who had some Premier League, some experience. Premier League experience and he of, did get the winner. The experience of not scoring goals mm. in the Premier League. And being injured. And being injured, being injured a lot in the Premier League, yeah. I, I, I find this... From Cumbria, Glenn Murray. No, you made a good point, Gavin. I think I made Adam Smith man of the match and... He spent most of his career on loan, drifting around. And, also, and he must have thought, I'm not going to make it. And also, my Bournemouth, my Bournemouth knowledge is limited, but isn't he actually like Francis's reserve? Yeah. He's the reserve right back. Simon Francis moved into the middle. But there's Harry Arter I mean, as well. Did they, got, did, they got, did they get Harry Arter from Woking or Welling or someone? He was, Harry Arter was playing non-lead a few years ago. Yeah, I think so. I think. <laughs> 
Susie's like. Well, yeah, we don't, we, don't, we don't know them very well. This no, is no, true. No, we no, don't no, know no, them very, the, very well. The point you're making, Dub, is entirely correct that people have got used to this idea. They've got themselves into this catch 22 where to. To play in the Premier League, you have to have Premier League experience, so no one new can come in. So even if you're bad at play, playing in the Premier League and get relegated, you continue to be in the Premier League. It's, it's, it's saying it's the, key, I, it's the QPR model, isn't it? I it's crashed like, your car last time I drove it, but it's taught me lots of lessons about how not <laughs> exactly. to crash it again. Uh, all right, percentage chance that Bournemouth are staying up, Rory? I think they, I think they'll go down after after all of that. I think they'll get relegated. <laughs> so it's more than fifty percent. Yeah, 60, sixty. I think. Sadly, I think they'll go down. I'd I'd say so. Yeah, I'd say they're forty uh, percent chance of staying up. Okay, so sixty percent chance of going down, same as Roy. Yeah, I'm going to reserve judgment. See if they spend in January. If they do, they'll stay up. But I don't think they're going to, so they won't. Moving on to our debate this week, Gary Neville is the new Valencia manager. The reason we're talking about this isn't because we've all suddenly gone Liga crazy, but it's because we all know and uh, value Gary Neville from his time as Manchester United and on, and even more so, I think, on the television. I was really struck by something that Neville said, and I have a whole bunch of reservations, not because I think he's he's bad or stupid, but simply because I think he's chosen an extremely problematic place to go. I was talking about what he said. He said that he would basically lose credibility if he didn't take the job. And I took that to mean like, all right, so you go on television, you criticize, you critique players and managers and you have a chance to manage and if you said no you would lose credibility now, given that we all critique players and managers all the time would we all lose credibility if we were offered a managerial job and we didn't take it we'd have to have it to lose in the first place of course <laughs> this is um, a good point but, but I know I, I disagree with Gary on that I mean his credibility comes from the fact from his career from the things he says from the fact that he's intelligent it doesn't come from the fact that he's whether or not he's managed a team right yeah and also if you want to be a manager, it doesn't mean you have to take the first job you're offered. He spent sort of two or three years with a foot in both camps, not quite sure what he's going to do. I've asked him about it, and he's sort of always been reluctant to commit to going down the manager, managerial route. Obviously, that is what he now wants to do, but it doesn't mean you have to take the first job. And I think he's taken a taken a huge gamble, really, because um, it's, it's, a, it's, a, it's a tough, tough job, and the club have riven with political problems as, as we know the George Mendes factor having said that well as a example it's almost a no leave if, if, he, if it doesn't work he can there's mitigating circumstances so he will get other offers in the future well also he knows he's got the complete support of the owner with whom he is in business that's the that's the thing that kind of that makes it and you're both right it is a gamble but what makes it less of a gamble is his relationship with Peter Lynn which is what the Valencia fans are slightly upset about well that's part of the problem isn't it yeah so if he if 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 he does well then everyone forgets that he knows that he's not stupid Gary if he does badly then yes, in Valencia they'll say, oh well, he was just you know he was an appointment, he was Lim's appointment, he was his mate. But in England, and this is the crucial thing, in England that will not play quite as much because there will be a he will be able to spin it as kind of there's political problems, the squad wasn't up to it, blah 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 blah, didn't you know, didn't work out, language problems even, and it won't be held against him. So I think it is a gamble, but one where he's hedged quite a lot of the risk. See, I don't know about that because people are. And I, I know Steve McLaren kept getting jobs after screwing up, you know, basically everywhere since Fente, but he kept getting sort of always smaller and smaller jobs. I I don't know if you want this to be your first impact, unless you're purely treating it as some sort of, you know, six-month pedagogical exercise, but I don't think he is because he's, you know, he talked about he's going to move his family there and uh, he didn't strike me as the kind of guy who, you know, he's going to give 100%. This is a team that last year finished fourth, Right now, they're eighth or ninth, I think. Finishing fourth this year is a really tall order because there's three teams that are clearly better than them. 
they have an absolute truckload of, of injuries. I think they had 10 guys out, I counted, against Valencia. You've got this absurdly, absurdly demanding fan base who think that Valencia should be competing with Barcelona and Real Madrid all the time. The rumors of, well, not the rumors, the fact that he is Peter Lim's business partner and that he's Lim's guy. And the last guy who was seen as Lim's stooge there was, was Nuno through the George Mendes relationship. And Nuno got abused from day one. It struck me, there's all these other things that if you get a couple bad results, you might have, you're going to have a snowball uh, effect. And that's what would make me really, really uneasy about taking this job. But on the one hand, you know, I admire anybody with courage like this. On the other hand, I, I sort of like, if you were plotting your career, you could have probably made a better choice. But, and I'm going to take Tony Castrino's point here and pretend it's mine, he t- he's... He put it onto the lower leagues to start. If he, so, say Gary Neville decides at some point in the last few weeks, he, he, right, I want to be a manager. He put it onto a low league club, doesn't want to do that because it, it typecasts him. Not to get a top six Premier League club, partly because he's not an experience and partly because of his, his association with Man United. If you go to a Villa or a Newcastle or whatever, or, or a Bournemouth, then you're limited in terms of what you can achieve. So, I think he's looked at it and thought, right, I have to go abroad to, to well, dip I'll my I'll give toe you two clubs where he could go this summer and where I think the jobs will be available. Go on, hit me. Okay, Swansea. Okay, yeah. Very well-run club. Would have been sensible, yeah. You yep. know, I think Kuman. I don't think Kuman's going to be at Southampton next year. That's another option. There, there, there's, there's, there's plenty of clubs, of, of clubs like that. I mean, I don't think there's plenty. I think th- those are two fine examples. Yes, Swansea and Southampton, well-run clubs, and it wouldn't necessarily <laughs> affect him his future employment prospects. He can treat it a bit, a bit like uh, a training exercise. He'll be cut more slack because he's by the English media because he's out of yeah. sight a little bit, out working abroad. I think the other thing that we've neglected to mention, and I think was actually quite important in his reasoning, is is the England manager's job. Obviously, he couldn't take a coaching a managerial job in the Premier League and be Roy Hodgson's assistant because of the obvious conflict of interest. Um, but he can go on television so, and talk so about. So I England think players. the fact that he's chosen to do this shows that he really wants to be taken seriously as a candidate if Roy leaves in the summer and if he does well in Valencia he certainly will be the people at the FA they've spoken about Neville and Gareth Southgate as sort of the two leading English contenders for when Roy does leave for a couple of years obviously Pardew's had a very good start to the season so maybe he will come into the frame as well but um, the fact that Gary Neville has decided to take this job I think shows he wants to be considered for the for the England job when it, when it becomes and available bit, and, and he wants bit. to work at the very very top straight away not starter mm. You know, a championship club, or even no disrespect, Swansea, Villa, Newcastle. He's a championship, Champions League player. He's a Champions League pundit. He wants to be a Champions League or international manager. I agree with all of that, and the fact that the bit about credibility, I think, is that he has said things like, "Not enough English players go abroad. Not enough English managers go abroad." He's he's doing what he says ought to be done by the next England manager. Yes, he should be English, but he ought to have a wider. Wider horizons. Although that is the wide horizons in the sense that he's taken a gap year. Put it this way: if I were a Valencia fan, I wouldn't be happy at all. I'd be listening to Matt Hughes and being like, "So what? So like after England go and stink it up in the in the in the Euros and go out in the first round and and you kick out Hodgson, like oh he'll be ready because he's worked in Spain. He's using my club for this. Yeah, but all my you know, and use I, all clubs for their own ends. It's naive to think. Yeah, but this is what, you know, I'm sorry, but no, but but turn it around. I mean, we're talking about Valencia. The equivalent of Valencia in, in England, if you want to talk about unrealistic expectations, size of club and whatever, you're, you're talking you're talking Liverpool. You're, 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 not, you're, not talking, you're not talking Stoke here. 
you talk to any manager who's been there, and then you talk about the, the, the sheer goldfish bowl coverage that, that, that they get and whatever else. I, Peter says the toughest job he's ever had. The danger is he's making a rod for his own back, where if he doesn't just, just reel off a streak of results, his job will unnecessarily get tougher than it should be. That, that's my fear for Possibly, him. Possibly, but then if I was a Valencia fan having those concerns, my issue would be with Peter Lim, not with Gary Neville. I don't, it, oh, I don't, believe me, they have issues with Peter Lim. I don't Lim. think you can blame Gary Neville for having the ambition and the courage well, to go and test himself, really. I'm not. I'm, I'm, I don't blame him for, for anything. He's just worried that this might be wrong for him. I actually want Gary because I like the guy and I, want him, and I want him to do well and I think he can be an asset to the English game. But it's obvious to me that this Peter Lim relationship is, is problematic in, in so many ways. And I also think that the media have generally tiptoed around this whole thing. Right, it's, been, it's been mentioned it's been by in every single assessment of this move. I know what you mean. Like it's not been there's not been big streaming headlines about you know is this is this corruption is this nepotism, but it's been mentioned at every point at every turn. No, 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 no. I, I don't mean obviously within the obviously Peter Lim went to somebody who who he knows and, and he trusts, and it's six months, so it's not a long term commitment. So from Peter Lim's perspective, it, it makes sense. But I think in general, in terms of conflicts of interest and, and whatnot, Peter Lim, obviously, I know he's a very wealthy man. I don't know where the hell he was educated, but starting with the George Mendes situation, now going on to Peter Lim, you're not, you can't be business partners with your employers. It's, it's, it's just unhealthy. It's stupid. It gives, an, it gives a wrong appearance. And I, I wonder about what this guy's motives are in football and, and whether this is just a pawn to go and gone further his other interests and, and whatever else I mean no industry is, is would this be contemplated I think like a lot of people in football are doing it part business part from they turn to who they know don't they um, often with disastrous you, consequences like Mike Ashley appointing Dennis Wise and these kind of <laughs> drinking mates from West London casinos but it's yeah. not unusual for um, but Mike Ashley and Dennis Wise weren't business partners no I think, but, that's they're, but the, they're business partners because they were friends first. That's what I'm. That's what I'm right. getting at. Gary you think you do wait? Sorry, going over Peter Lim and Nurture for you for Peter Lim. Is, Peter Lim is a Manchester United fan with a lot of money. That is that is what Peter Lim is. That's why he's invested in Salford City. That's why he's invested in hotel football and the other thing in Manchester that going that the Class of '92. Hotel, run. yeah. It's why he's he's mates with Neville yeah, and Nicky. Well, but that's that. Peter Lim is a Man United fan, and there's nothing wrong with that. But yeah, there's nothing wrong with being a Man United fan with a lot of money. No, nothing yeah. at all. But th- there is there is a problem when. You are then in charge of a club which is also a social institution like Valencia, and you hand control of that to one of your friends. That is problematic. The only way it becomes unproblematic is if Gary Neville is good at it. I always wonder about the situations where people are, are mates with billionaires. I always think back to George Colkin's brilliant demolition of his, his takedown of Joe Kinnear when he talked about how Joe Kinnear became mates with uh, the Crown Prince of Nepal or whatever, and he talked about how like you know they were friends went to the pub and George points out that like, this guy was like 25 years younger than Kinnear and it's kind of weird Right, enough of that. How about some quick hits instead? Manchester United are held at Old Trafford by West Ham It finishes nil-nil Chances uh, for both sides but he's, I actually thought United looked a little better than in their recent outings, even though obviously they could have lost this game, but they also could have scored a couple goals, and yet poor Louis got booed at the end. Am, am I wrong here? Is there any meaning to these boos? Are they different from the other ones? Not really. There's just more of the same. I mean, I agree they were better, but but, but thought it's a bit like Chelsea being better at Tottenham last week. We're talking about from a very low base. United having chances at home is, is not extraordinary, not unusual. They should be beating West Ham, and 5 nil nils out of 9 is pretty pretty appalling and endemic 
and if they get another one on uh, tomorrow night in Wolfsburg, they could be in big trouble. Showing a little bit of love for West Ham, uh, they went into this game without Dimitri Payet, Manuel Lanzini, and uh, and Jafra Saka, which is basically three quarters of their of their front four. Then Victor Moses gets hurt. Should we be showing a little bit more love to to, to, to Slavin Village? Well, given that they've um, they've already won at what the Etihad. The Emirates, Anfield, and beating Chelsea at Upton Park, and I think that if they'd won at Old Trafford, that would have been the first made Billich the first manager since Howard Wilkinson to beat all five of those clubs in one season, which is pretty impressive for a Sorry, first. By law, we have every time we mention Howard Wilkinson's name, we have to remind everybody the that last he is Englishman to win the lead title. And and your countryman, right? Yeah, from Yorkshire, Yorkshire, yeah, Yorkshire yeah. yeah proud yeah. Yorkshireman. Uh, Who's born closer to Howard's uh, birthplace? But he, but he hates Christmas as well. He's pretty miserable. Yeah. Is, is he, he from Sheffield, Howard? I think he's from Sheffield. Yeah, yeah so me. So there you go. Pusey, Advantage, yeah. Eugene. Please play, sorry, proceed. It depends how you regard Sheffield. Um, the, uh, Says the man from Harrogate. Where, where people do not regard Sheffield kindly. Uh, <laughs> the, I love Sheffield, that's very really unfair. I, went to Sheff- I was in Sheffield last week, it was wonderful, all the trains were cancelled. Uh, yeah, Billich is doing a really good job. Thank you for that analysis and insight. <laughs> Sunderland give Arsenal a very, very tough time at the Emirates, uh, but ultimately they hang in there, injuries and all, and they take the three points thanks to Giroud and Ramsey, Alison, we've touched upon this. Are they your title favourites now? No, I, I agree with Matt that, that City probably are. But if Ozil stays fit and stays in the form he is, and I enjoyed very much Rory's analysis of Ozil in the game today. And, but he's that sort of player. You you end up just focusing on him because he... He, he always plays at least three killer passes and does something very beautiful and doesn't matter if you're Sunderland or Liverpool or City or Chelsea, you will find him difficult to play against. So maybe they're in with a chance if he stays fit and happy. Leicester City are top of the league as Riyad Mahrez's hat-trick sees them beat up poor old Swansea 3-0. Husey, are you still sceptical about Leicester's chances of winning the title? Uh, what would it take for them? For, uh, what do they need to do to get your approval? as legitimate title contenders. Um, Top of the league in April? Basically, yeah. June? Two points a game till April. Till April. Should do it. Um, I'm not sceptical. I'm full of admiration for Leicester, but they can't win the league even top this four? season. They could get in the top four, but I do remember this time last year we had a very similar conversation about Southampton, and I think I was the doom monger that said they'd probably finish about sixth or seventh and was vindicated. Um, <laughs> so I think Leicester, if they finish top six, it'll be amazing. If they finish top four... It will be incredible if they win the league. I'll resign. Ooh. Ooh. Standard interview. Keep big. channeling your inner Howard Wilkinson there. <laughs> Spurs draw at West Brom. They're still fifth. But, Rory, is it games like these that kind of remind us why Spurs don't generally win Premier League titles and missed opportunities well, you and James McLean? And- Dab, I'm a traditionalist. I think a point away from home is a good result. I'd... I'd, I'd there's not many games where you look at a draw away from home and think, oh, it's a really bad result, especially on a weekend like this. Yes, if Spurs had won at West Brom, they would have closed that gap. They would possibly be in the top four. But City have lost, Liverpool have lost, United drew, or Arsenal won, Chelsea lost, Leicester, of course, won. It's not a bad result at all. Yes, two points would have been better than... Three points, rather, would have been better than one. But no, I don't think it was a particularly damaging result. If you win all your home games, every single one, and you draw all your away games, every single one, you finish the season on 76 points. Which this season, ironically, would would be enough to win the title, probably. Newcastle, roll over Liverpool 2-0. Alisson, 
It's all you. Would you like to praise Steve McLaren and his plea for hard work? Find fault in the Klopp Express or perhaps celebrate Martin Skirtle for the historic moment when he equaled Jamie Carragher's record of all-time own goals in a Liverpool shirt? I would like to praise McLaren having slaughtered him last week. (laughs) You really did. Um, I think I said something along the lines of, you know, it's not about coaching and thinking, it's about injecting passion and concentration. And they did that. They were very concentrated. They were passionate and athletic. And sometimes that's what it takes at home to be a team in form who didn't really turn up and were very flat. So that helped to McLaren, of course. But uh, no, it was good. It was good. He, he didn't try and overthink his way through it. FC Bavaria Munich lost their first Bundesliga game of the season on Saturday against Borussia Mönchengladbach. Uh, is there any reason for them to be concerned? No, not based on the evidence uh, from Saturday, I thought. They should have put the game away in the first half, and then the second half, Gladbach is this weirdo team that... They lost their first five games of the season. They changed managers. Andrew Sch- Andre Schubert came in. He didn't even really want the job. He was happy coaching kids, and he'd been pretty rubbish when he last had a, uh, a coaching job at St. Pauli. Uh, but then they've gone on this absurd tear where they, they haven't lost a game other than, than City uh, in the Champions League, and that was with a last-minute Aguero penalty, if I recall correctly. Uh, in this game, I thought Bayern pounded them, and then they hit them three times on the break. So, well done, Gladbach. They have the, the, the stardust, but... Um, I think Bayern are going to be fine, although you wonder, and this is one of those things that I wonder wonder if there might be a touch of the arsenals there. They've got something like eight guys injured. And when people like Douglas Costa, Ariane Robin, delegate physiques, you just wonder a little bit, like, are they going to come back after the Christmas break and be as effective as they ought to be? Right, that's all we've got time for today. Many, many thanks to my guests today, Rory K. Smith, Alison Rudd, and Matt Hughes. And a special thank you to all of them for taking time out of their busy days to come to the studio with me. We're just across the street from the Shard. I'm assuming you'll be doing some sightseeing? Christmas lunch at the Shard? You're paying. That's what, that's what I thought. Yeah, no, I've, I've left my, my credit card with uh, with Gixie. Um, you can press that subscribe button. Uh, we're going to be back next week. You can get exclusive football, rugby, and cricket highlights free as part of your subscription. Anyway, it's just £12 for a 12-week trial. Just search The Times online. Till next time, enjoy the winter. Your subscription to The Times and The Sunday Times now comes with access to every Barclays Premier League goal. Refresh your app, choose your team, accept notification, and you're away.